Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm Eric Sperling, filling in for Chris Caraggio for today's episode. We have two great guests with us today, Dr. Ron Wyatt and Laura Botwinick, here for an incredibly important discussion. So first, let me introduce our guests. Dr. Ronald Wyatt is Vice President and Patient Safety Officer for MCIC Vermont, a leading medical professional insurer for academic medical centers. Prior to this, Dr. Wyatt was formerly the Chief Quality and Patient Safety Officer at Cook County Health in Illinois. He also served as the Chief of Patient Safety and Quality for the Hamad Medical Corporation in Doha, Qatar, and was the first Patient Safety Officer at the Joint Commission. Dr. White is an internationally known patient safety and health equity subject matter expert. Among other board leadership roles, he co-chairs the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, the IHI, Equity Advisory Group, and is faculty for the IHI Pursuing Equity Initiative. Dr. White is a graduate of the University of Alabama Birmingham School of Medicine and holds a master's degree in health administration from the University of Alabama Birmingham School of Health Professions. Also joining the conversation today is Laura Botwinick. Director of the Graduate Program in Health Administration and Policy, and Adjunct Instructor at the University of Chicago. Prior to joining the University of Chicago, she served in various roles at the Joint Commission, most recently as Vice President for Innovation and Product Development. She was also a Fellow of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Laura earned her Master of Science degree from DePaul University and is a Certified Improvement Advisor. So in addition to these many achievements, Ron, Laura, and two of their colleagues co-authored a column in the most recent issue of ACHE's Healthcare Executive Magazine. It shares the title with today's podcast, Addressing Institutional Racism in Healthcare Organizations. So with that introduction, Ron, Laura, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you. Great to be here. Great to be here. All right. So I just mentioned the title of today's podcast, Addressing Institutional Racism in Healthcare Organizations, so that everyone, all of our listeners have the same context Uh, Could you please define institutional racism as you described in the issue of your column? I'll go ahead and start. We like to use the definition that Dr. Kamara Jones uh, teaches about, and she's uh, a physician who um, has been lecturing and teaching about these issues for a really long time. She's done a tremendous amount of research in this field and has served as the president of the American Public Health Association and many other accolades. She describes institutional racism as the differential access to the good services and opportunities of society by race. Institutional racism is normative, sometimes legalized, and often manifests as inherent inherited disadvantage. It's structural having been codified in our institutions of custom, practice, and law. So there need not be an identifiable perpetrator. And she tells a tale, the gardener's tale, and it's so great, you can find it on YouTube. And it's a story that describes how two different color flowers thrive or don't thrive, depending on how well tended they are. And it's, they're the same flowers, but just different colors. And because of the different conditions within which they grow, one thrives and one doesn't. That helps us to understand the structures and processes that impact who thrives and who doesn't. 
Uh, Ron, anything you want to add there on the definition of institutional racism? Yeah, I think that the key uh, to this is that it is a system and it operates systematically and um, it is integrated into policies, it's integrated into practices, it's integrated into the norms and values uh, of healthcare organizations. Uh, it is it is pervasive. Uh, it in some ways is a shift changer. Uh, it, in other words, it can metamorphosize itself over time, uh, which makes it really challenging um, to get underneath this to actually see some of the impact. But we know some of the impact of this, as we'll talk about a bit later. Yeah, challenging. And uh, you've been hard at work uh, coming up with solutions here. Uh, your column references a framework published by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement called Achieving Health Equity, a Guide for Healthcare Organizations. And you're both co-authors on that piece as well. Uh, we know IHI is dedicated to improving patient safety in our healthcare organizations. So, Ron, can you uh, sort of connect the dots for us between institutional racism and patient safety? Uh, sure. Um, th th there is a straight line, not even a dot. Um, the institutional and structural racism leads to, to poor health outcomes. And let's just go through some of the markers of that that we are aware of. We know, for instance, that Black men in this country uh, have the shortest life expectancy. But if we look at people of color and indigenous populations in general, we'll see the same thing. So, so the biggest, I think, patient safety connector back to structural racism and, and, and institutional uh, racism and bias is life expectancy, it's mortality. And then when we begin to break that down by disease conditions, if we break it down by, for instance, clinical outcomes, for example, readmission, a readmission that's unplanned is a patient safety issue. And then if we look at what we call hospital acquired conditions, whether those are infections or hospital acquired pressure injuries, pressure sores, uh, if we look at falls with injury, those are, are patient safety issues. And when we began to stratify those safety concerns uh, around race, ethnicity, and language, that's when we began to see a separation. That's when we began to see this difference in outcomes that impacts organizations. We can even go farther than that. Uh, what has emerged as a, a critical factor uh, in patient safety and quality improvement is the patient and the community experience. And now this is tied back to value-based purchasing so that how, how I feel during my experience in care uh, can impact an organization. And there are several questions to ask. One, one of the most critical questions are, or several are, what was my communication with like with the physician? What was my communication like with the nurse? Is the environment safe and clean? Do I feel safe? And a critical question that I would focus in on at Cook County uh, Health System even is how likely am I to recommend this organization to my family and my friends? So when we begin to take that data and, and stratify by race, ethnicity, language, and quite frankly, sexual orientation, gender identity, a story emerges of, of almost a separate and unequal healthcare system that's driven by, uh, I, I strongly believe, institution and structural racism that has not been addressed in a robust enough way. Uh, Laura, I'll invite you to expand on that. Uh, you know, what Ron said, you didn't need to connect the dots. It's a straight line. The community, the racism in the institution impacts the community because the word gets out how people are treated in that organization. And it's people talk 
to their families and friends, and, and they know how people are treated at an organization. And if the organization has a reputation for having racist providers, or if the experience is bad at the reception desk, or at the billing collection stage, or in the dining room, all along the way, people of color can be experiencing racism in the healthcare organization. So it's really, uh, and then what that, how that connects back to health is that um, people are reluctant to come to that entity when they need healthcare. At IHI, a long time saying is, every system is designed to get the results it gets. And we say that, that we, we do system thinking and we think about how is this system resulting in quality of care? or not, what, what, what in the system is causing medical errors. And so we, in quality improvement, we look for how to improve the system to improve the quality of care. And so too, we can look and say, hey, our health system, our healthcare organizations are producing disparities in care. And so it's the system. And so we can ask the same questions. What, is, what are the qualities of this system in our healthcare organization that are producing disparities and let's address those. Yeah. I was going to ask you about taking action around some of those quality improvements. And I do encourage everyone listening um, to visit healthcareexecutive.org and read the column as well as IHI.org and look for the white paper. Um, you can find it there under the resources tab. Uh, but Laura, if you would, can you give us an overview of the key ways healthcare organizations, um, sort of what you were just talking about, can identify and counteract institutional racism and improve safety and care for all patients? One thing that's really important is to understand history, the history uh, uh, in the United States uh, around, around slavery, around the experience of people of color, Latinx folks, um, indigenous folks, just really learn that history. We don't get taught the real story so often in, in um, in our educational systems in, in the US. And then look closely at the history of your own organization in the community and understand how it's viewed, understand if it has any kind of racist leg legacy. You, it's, it's an important part of, of looking inward and, and understanding why there might be mistrust to this day. And then the second thing would be around culture, establish a welcoming culture and and, and have it not just be about how the organization looks, though that's really important, but also encourage conversations about race and racism within the organization. And then the next strategy that we talk about in the article is committing to a diverse workforce, and that's addressing every aspect of human resources. And that's in hiring, meaning widen your pipelines, reach out to make sure that you're bringing in a diverse set of candidates. And then once people are hired, make sure that you're giving uh, staff of color appropriate mentoring and opportunities. Really track that within the organization to make sure that, you're, that you know how things are going. Um, and then you can uh, do things also like attend to the low wage workers and understand are they using, are they able to access the retirement plans of the program? Are they able to access the tuition reimbursement programs <clears throat> and, and, and try to figure out um, if you can support, better support the low wage workers. Can, many organizations are even looking at the, at the wage itself 
There's a tracker, an MIT uh, cost of living tracker that you can see where, what the, what the minimum wage for a, a living wage is in your community. And some, and some organizations IHI is working with are matching that, uh, that amount. And then you can address business practices. And that's looking, whenever you're coming up with a new policy, assess what impact it will have on um, on, on social justice, on people of color. And then, and, and there's actually something called a racial equity impact assessment that we can link to, um, that, that you can access on the IHI site. Um, and then importantly, clinical operations. And this relates to something that, that Ron spoke to earlier. You need to be able to stratify your quality data by race, ethnicity, and language and, and also sexual orientation and gender identity. Laura, thank you so much. What a great overview. And I know, Ron, you were, you were listening, and I know you were co-author on this white paper. Um, so as you were listening there, what were some of the key takeaways you had and some of the, the maybe the points that you really want to hit home when it comes to counteracting institutional racism? Yeah, so the first one that, that Laura so nicely um, outlined is to begin to understand and accept that structural racism is a determinant of health and healthcare. Start there uh, and then understand how structural racism operates in, in your system uh, and understand that what we're talking about here really is issues of uh, justice. Um, so I think most of us know are familiar with the 1966 quote by Martin Luther King Jr. that was made in Chicago where he said of all the forms of injustice, injustice in healthcare is, um, the quote is inhumane, but historians will say that what he actually said, that injustice in healthcare is inhuman. And, and that's a key phrase uh, because as Laura talked about history, we've become ahistorical. Um, we have to recognize that at one point, black uh, people in this country were property. Uh, Chinese people who, who were brought here were property. Japanese people were interred. Uh, we know the history of Spanish-speaking people in this country. Um, so what happened then are these populations that still suffer as a result of structural racism have been devalued and dehumanized. So we have to understand how important that is to go back, recognize, accept that, yes, this is what happened. We're not going to revise this history and then began to design new pro programs and systems, as, as Laura outlined, so that we began to address the needs of a population. Uh, and that means we're gonna have to look at what is restorative justice and what is redistributive justice, uh, which scares people, uh, because then they think that we're somehow in a zero-sum game, uh, and we're not. We're saying that we need to look at how we get resources allocated to populations where they're needed, and not necessarily where they want it. And, and the biggest example of that is COVID when it hit New York City and about eight zip codes in New York City had these extremely high mortality rates among Black and Latinx and Asian populations. Well, the canary was already almost dead in the coal mine uh, before, before COVID hit. Um, so these, these communities, these zip codes and the safety net hospitals in those communities already suffered from lack of resources. They already were understaffed. They already didn't have the equipment and supplies they needed on any given day. So there's no, there's, that, there should be no surprise 
that a system based on structural racism led to these extremely high death rates. And we can continue to go down that list of, of these inequities in a system that are based on a system. So solutions mean taking the hard uh, look at the data uh, as been outlined and begin to, to allocate resources appropriately, uh, begin to, at this point, look beyond implicit bias training and look at anti-racism training in an organization and, and um, commit to that as a leadership. Uh, and, and I would just finish by saying, if you just look at Chicago, think as a laboratory of inequity in healthcare. And if I lived on West Adams, uh, not far from Stroger Hospital in Chicago when I was there. And if, if you go from the loop on the blue line out to where I lived on West Adams, the, the income decreases by $100,000 per year. Uh, and, and the poverty rates accelerate and, and you lose 16 years of life if you travel on the blue line from the loop downtown Chicago uh, out to Garfield Park. So we, we need to address this uh, at, a, at a, a leadership level, uh, at a political level, uh, at an economic level, and at a policy level. Well, Ron and Laura, uh, we are releasing this podcast on an auspicious anniversary. June 2nd, 2020 uh, was the date of the social media blackout that recognized the death of George Floyd, as well as the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor in the preceding weeks. And so, you know, thinking about actions like the social media blackout, uh, the nationwide protests against racism and what you just mentioned wrong, uh, the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on people of color, the headlines we've all been seeing about anti-Asian attacks and violence. So how has this nationwide awareness been impacting how healthcare organizations are directing their efforts when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Ron? Yeah, so I, I will say this. I hope that the, the, the moment that became a movement does not become a scam. Um, and and that, that is what keeps me awake at night. Uh, so that organizations rush in, um, give a donation, uh, contribute to a community or a clinic, and then rush back out with a halo. We need to avoid that. And that, that is what I fear most with the moment that we're in right now. So how do we sustain this movement over time and get to meaningful change and, and better outcomes uh, for, for people of color across not just the U.S., but around the globe? So, so that is where my thinking is on this. So when we begin to see real policies put in place, and, and, and uh, a different way of making things happen, then I'll feel better about this. We need to hire people that know how to include people, know how to create cultures and environments where people feel that they belong and then measure them. Yes, we need metrics and measurement, but, uh, but these, these uh, efforts need resources that we can sustain them uh, into the future. Laura, same question there on the nationwide awareness, everything we see going on and to uh, to pick up on what Ron was just saying, you know, sustaining these efforts. Right. That's where the priority is. Right. Right. I I, I, I the, the murder of George Floyd, as you said, just spurred this nationwide reckoning with with race and the statements that that organization leaders made at that time were really powerful. And they came out with headlines and this included hospital CEOs, health system CEOs, just committing to addressing systemic racism inside their organizations. And it was 
a moment where everybody's attention is focused on this. And we were in this position of having been working on this framework that you saw in, in, the, in the article. And it, it, it had been, it was an effort that was going on for, for quite a while uh, with a team at IHI. Um, we feel like we really are, are appreciative to uh, ACHE for helping get this framework out there. We believe that, that if people work through this framework and the other parts of the framework that IHI has been testing, we could tell you more about that if there's time, but this is a way to bake in the changes that are needed in healthcare organizations. And um, that's how we can make it sustainable, is to make real system changes, changing processes and norms, I, and, and being able to see, see institutional racism. That's the hard, hardest part. Well, we've talked for a majority of this podcast about organizations, and let's close here by shifting the focus from organizations to the individual, because ACHE's members do range from graduate students to clinical directors, to physician leaders, to hospital and health system CEOs. And so knowing that there's no easy answer here, Laura, uh, what advice would you give um, our listeners as to how they as individuals and as healthcare leaders can make an impact to advance anti-racist practices uh, throughout their careers? We think about it in terms of hearts, minds, and action. So the heart part is doing the deep introspection on an individual level about, about your connection to, to structural racism. You know, if you're a white person, you know, I'm a white person, I need to identify how I have been privileged by this system. And so doing that personal introspection and, and being real about, um, about the, what, about, you know, about privilege. And then also you could take the, uh, the IAT test. It's an implicit bias test that's free. And that's often, uh, that can be a, a game changer for people and you can see, um, be, be shown your own biases if, if you think that you're not, if you don't have them. I would also say IHI is going to be publishing a, a course that's free, an anti-racism uh, training course that I, I, I authored with Chika Isaac, and that's going to be coming out and may be released even when this podcast comes out. So I encourage everyone to, to take that course as a way to learn. So that's the mind part is continue learning and be on a continuous journey of learning and then take action, you know, to be an anti-racist and to be working uh, uh, for equity, you have to take action. So look at ways to make the changes that we're talking about in, in your organization and, 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 and just look for a way to, to take action. It might, you might not have the ability to make changes in your organization you may not be you know, high enough in the organization, but you can, as a manager, diversify your staff, pay attention to that. Uh, you can listen to community and you can even take action by getting involved in activities in the community that are important to people of color um, and, and, and health equity, because you can get involved in activities that are important that relate to health. So hearts, minds, and action and keep on that path.
Yeah, and Ron, I'll let you close us out here uh, with with a similar tone. You know, Laura was was just saying, you know, you may not be able to change things at your organization, but you certainly can change something about yourself. So what advice would you give our listeners here? Um, you know, same question here um, that they can do to make an impact and advance anti-racist practices throughout their careers. Sure. So, um, you know, we've been grown accustomed to these cultural competency modules um, that p- they become these check the box exercises. Uh, and, and I would say, uh, while those might be valuable, they're not enough. Um, so I would advocate for looking more at uh, what's now called cult- um, structural humility and structural competence. Uh, and that can be done at a system level, that can be done at a leadership level, and, and it can be brought into the clinical learning environment. And, and part of, of structural humility then means closing that, that power distance between myself and the people that I'm serving. And I say that with intent. We are servants for the people that come to us for care. So that means having a deeper understanding of of my biases, uh, a deeper understanding of how microaggressions work uh, in these settings. Uh, Began to have a deeper understanding of the incredible power of listening with humility, and then understanding the social, the political, and the economic situations that people bring with them into that setting. Uh, And then where we fail, step back, self-reflect, what have I learned from this encounter and how can I improve the next time? So you make a really, really good point, Eric. That is, this is continuous learning. Uh, So you continue to learn as a professional, as a a healthcare servant, as you go and ask for help from the expert. The expert is the person standing in front of you or that family uh, or the community that you're serving. Those are the experts and they can offer us solutions on how to better care for them, which includes how, how can I respect you more? How can I show you empathy and compassion uh, that's going to help with the healing process, but it's also going to grow the trust that we have in this relationship and, and we, we close that gap. So, so I'll finish with a, a, a saying about this from Chinua Kibi, who wrote Things Fall Apart. You cannot enter my house through your gate. It's my house. It's my gate. I will give you permission. And then we can sit at my table and talk to each other and, and learn to understand each other. That's bi-directional. We owe each other that as opposed to the old one-way paternalistic uh, racist approach that has been practiced for now for generations. So that's how I would say, and there's our, our uh, medical schools now even, and, and nursing schools that teach cultural humility, structural humility, structural competence, and they practice it, they simulate it, uh, and they make it a way of being. And I think something structured like that is, is what we need. What a dynamic way to close out our conversation today. Once again, a reminder for everyone listening, our guests for this important discussion today were Dr. Ron Wyatt, Vice President and Patient Safety Officer for MCIC, Vermont and Co-Chair of the IHI Equity Advisory Group, and Laura Botwinick, Director of the Graduate Program in Health Administration and Policy and Adjunct Instructor at the University of Chicago. Dr. Wyatt, uh, Laura, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank all you listeners who joined us for this important conversation. Please don't forget to visit healthcareexecutive.org and check out our guest column on address, addressing institutional racism in healthcare organizations. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Healthcare Executive Podcast. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast. 
Brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ACHE.org. Thank you.